Please pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always pleasing in your sight. Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to talk a little bit about joy, but the stories I'm going to use today don't sound very joyful. And it's because joy is something deeper. It's different than happiness, right? Happiness is about my circumstances and how things are going for me. Joy is a deeper current, and that's the current we're entering today. You know, faith is a tenuous and a fragile gift. Nothing in this world is more precious and nothing is more vulnerable than faith. Your faith might feel steady and secure when things are going right, when your health is good, when you have enough money for your bills and then some left over, when your plans are successful. But what about when your health fails, when everything appears to be failing, when the monetary ends don't meet, or when our plans come to a bitter end? It's harder to have faith then. I served at, as, at Veterans Court this week as the chaplain, uh, but it was unlike any other time I've been there and I think God might have been in all of that. We were in a different courtroom, and the judge was not there this week. So being, being in a different courtroom meant that I walked a different path, and one that took me right by family court. And the fact that the judge wasn't there meant that we got out early. And that path and that timing took me by some folks that I recognized. And we, it brought me to a moment that I knew would eventually happen. I've always known that someday my presence at the court building would mean that I would run into someone I know on a day that they would rather not see me. Friday was that day. And for that family, it was a very hard day. But knowing the story, I knew that it's a saga that's been going on for years. The marriage didn't end in the way that they had hoped. Decisions must be made for and about the children. And things didn't go according to their plan. They struggle to know why God didn't restore their marriage. For most of us, the gates of failure make us question ourselves and think, maybe, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I didn't hear God right. I might have been projecting what I really wanted rather than following the Lord. God didn't lead me to this failure, did he? And so I think we can relate to John the Baptist when he asked the question that's at the heart of our Christian faith, at the heart of the Advent season, are you the one? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? This week I was reminded about why I became a Christian. I forget how much ground I have covered as a Christian until I hosted a Bible study at my house recently and I needed to lend out Bibles. And I have so many. And as I was looking at them, I realized how many pages are marked, are written on, there are post-it and sticky notes everywhere, there are former Bible studies falling out of them. I'm sorry, Meg, because <laughs> I think that happened to you. And I realized seeing that, wow, I have traveled a long way in Scripture. But this week I was reminded what it was like in the beginning, when you're unsure, when your Bible study is kind of shallow because you don't have enough experience with it to hear the resonances that are beautiful and that point to the other passages. I had no idea who this Jesus guy was in the beginning, and I didn't know much about him, but soon after I began to follow him, I felt sure of his leading, and it changed my whole life because I decided I was going to change my whole life to do what I thought he was saying. 
I mistakenly thought that Jesus would only lead to victory and success. How if I was doing what he told me to do, surely it would all work out. It could, there's no way. It could end up in defeat and what appeared to be failure. But it did. It did. And publicly and in humiliating ways. It was a path that led to my cross, even though I had been faithful to the vision. And I wondered, why was God ruining my life? Why is it that I began to follow him, a guy that I knew his story, that he died on the cross in a public and humiliating way? Why was I surprised when I encountered that part of the story in my own life? Wasn't that the idea? Aren't, we're, aren't we meant to be little Christ's? That, that is what Christian, Christian means, little Christ. And that's what we are. It was a hard lesson to learn that God's objectives were different than mine. He gives us what we need for growth, not what we want. As Christians, our eyes begin to change and we begin to see differently as we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. Sight might only see failure and devastation. Faith may see fulfillment of a call, especially if he's calling you to be a disciple and if he's calling you to take up your cross. He might not be calling you to ultimate victory. He might just be calling you to move one more notch towards justice or freedom or peace. Or if God is calling you to be a prophet, hang on to your faith because Israel is getting ready to do what they do to all of the true prophets. We enter the gospel passage at a time when John the Baptist is in prison. And last week we learned that he was the first prophet to speak for God in about 450 years. He is the forerunner. He's the messenger sent ahead of the Messiah. And John was sure that the Messiah Israel had been waiting for was Jesus. He was sure of that. But things haven't gone so well for John. The powers that be didn't like John's prophetic gift, especially when he publicly criticized the political leader, Herod, for his relationship. He took his brother's wife for his own and was guilty of all kinds of evil and debauchery. But apparently he didn't like that named publicly, so he imprisoned John at Macarith, which is five miles east of the Dead Sea. Well, this didn't turn out the way that John had expected. So he sends his own messengers to go find Jesus and ask him, are you the one? Jesus didn't answer that question directly. He didn't say, I am. And in fact, he doesn't speak to John at all. He doesn't say to the intermediary, hey, tell John that I said such and such. Instead, he says, tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind see, the deaf hear, and so on clearly pointing to Isaiah's beautiful description of the promised age to come that we read about today in our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 35. It's as if Jesus says, tell John about the joy, the joy that you hear and see. It speaks for itself. Isaiah speaks a lot about that joyful new kingdom, the one we wait for and experience is the already not yet of Advent, Jesus has come, and he will come again. And Isaiah talks about it in chapter 35, and then again in chapter 61. And you remember that passage, right? That's a very familiar one. It's the scroll that Jesus asks for at the very beginning of his ministry. And he reads it about all the different stuff that the Messiah is going to do, and he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news. It too talks about the recovery of the sight of the blind and the recovery of hearing for those who have lost it. It sounds a lot like this passage. And I think our lectionary lets Jesus off the hook a little bit by pairing our gospel reading with chapter 35 instead of chapter 61. Because if he had paired it with Isaiah 61, it would be more obvious the part that Jesus left out. In chapter 35, Jesus said, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Jesus leaves out the part about prisoners and captives being set free. This might be a subtle communication to John. He couldn't just have the messengers run back into Herod's palace and announce, uh, yes, Jesus says he's the Messiah, because that might have ended in his own death and capture. Jesus was trying to keep a secret, and he tells his disciples to keep that messianic secret as late as Matthew 16. He keeps telling people, hey, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah, and they keep running around and telling everybody that he's the Messiah. (laughs) I think Jesus was letting John know You aren't going to get out of prison, buddy. And it doesn't mean that I love you any less. And it doesn't mean that I'm not who I say I am. And then he immediately turns to his disciples and gives a glowing review of John. Not only is he a true prophet, there is none born of women who are greater than John. So let's look at this through the disciples' eyes for a minute. And this is the part as a church planter where I get really frustrated because I would love to say, take out your pew Bibles in front of you and turn to page such and such, because literally two paragraphs before our reading, Jesus has just taught the disciples one very important thing, that he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And the important thing to note about that is that Jesus points to the necessity of picking up your cross, of choosing the path that leads to your cross. And he had literally just said that. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And no sooner does that word fall from his lips when the messengers from John come running up. Listen, we have all known people who are in pain at the end of their life, and they get depressed. Some even lose their faith. I had a friend who lost both of her parents to cancer within 18 months of each other, and she was the primary caregiver for both of them. And they both died on her red couch. Her dad went first. He had been a preacher his whole life. It was a long, slow, and painful death. But her dad remained faithful to the end. When the doctor said there was nothing else that they could do, and they sent him home with her to die on her red couch, she told me that her father prayed. And his prayer went like this. It was a line from Job. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God, I hope I am that faithful to the end. And I pray that each of you are too. But faith is a fragile thing. She told me that her mother, who had just lost her husband and was now leaving behind three of her children, she didn't manage the pain as well. And she said things that made my friend question her mother's faith. She was really worried. So you know what I did? I took out my tabbed and my sticky-noted Bible, 
And I turn to today's passage where Jesus defends John to the crowd. And he defends all of us who have questions when things appear to come to a bitter end. The eyes of the world see a failed mission if John is killed, but John didn't have a failed mission. He was the fullness of who God called him to be. What happened to him was an authenticating sign of God's grand plan and his own identity. Jesus begins to speak to them, those who had just witnessed John's anxious questioning, and he said, what did you go out in the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What he was saying there was that Herod is scared. Because Herod put the image of reeds on his coin. You know why John was killed, Herod was scared. Instead of seeing him as power, Jesus is saying he was shaken by the wind. Jesus said, what then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? John wore camel's hair. Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. God sees it differently, and God's power is very different. It can be seen and heard, though, if you're looking for it. But don't look where the world tells you to look. If the world were talking to you, it would tell you a very different story, one with palaces and soft robes and people who have no real power and are far from the truth. To the question, are you the one? Jesus responds this way. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, if you can perceive sacramentally, if you can experience the world, even this broken world of prisons and violence and disappointment and sorrow through the ancient poetry of Isaiah, then you'll know the new day has dawned. It's not fully arrived yet, but the signs of life are clear, glimpses of heaven, occasions of joy even now. Augustine defined a sacrament as a visible word, a visible sign of an invisible grace. This week's readings push us to see sacramentally, to see in the first advent a visible sign of the second, the world to come, to see Christmas, a visible sign of the realm of heaven. And in whatever particular restorations and joys that we hear and see around us, sacraments of the great restoration and everlasting joy to come, and it will come, it will. The church is called not just to hear and see such sacramental glimpses of this kingdom, but to become sacramental signs. So that that family, that I don't think was any accident that I walked by them in the courthouse this week, they tried to ignore me the first two times they saw me. They turned, they, it was like we had that moment of recognition and then they turned their backs and they huddled in the corner and I let it go the first time. I stood and I stared at them, and then I went on my way. And as God would have it, I passed them two more times. And on the third time, I walked up and I put my hand on the father's shoulder, and I said, you are gonna rise above this. And then I walked away. We are to become visible, audible, and encouraging signs for a weary and fearful world. This Sunday. Rejoice and take that joy. Carry it out there where it is so needed. Let us pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory 
now and forever. Amen.